link between objective and subjective reality than their problem called Delbert Dean. <laughs> 60 say welcome to the Heavy Psych Podcasts. We are your hosts. I am Steph. I'm Andrew. I'm Carly. And tonight we are interviewing the infamous, uh, supposedly, allegedly the infamous Stella or Dan. Stella Dan. But in other circles, uh, also known as Alex Holman. Yeah, you know, it depends on who you ask. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Truly. Um, so tell us what you got going on with the tapes these days. Uh, there's always tapes happening, and uh, right now it's become, like, the the pandemic's been, like, the perfect, not to reduce it, but for me it's been, a, a, I guess, an easier excuse to just work on tapes constantly, but I w- was definitely doing this uh, beforehand, um, just constantly trying shit out bouncing everything to tape i record everything digitally but it just goes um you know I'll bounce the digital to the tape and then back into the computer and sometimes use that as like uh you know slow it down and speed it up all that kind of fun stuff and so it's uh sometimes those will just end up being their own tapes but right right now i'm i'm really into uh recycled tapes it's like taping over old like yeah <laughs> oh yeah it might be I mean, I, um yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've got a bunch of those, uh, like, 90-minute Max Maxwells and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. like, I don't care what's on it. It's all, like, ACDC. <laughs> yeah. 
those like ghost recordings when you're messing with tape? You'll get like a ghost recording of the thing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fully get erased. I feel like that's super fun to. There's to mix so, around. So much like uh, older Frank Hurricane tapes that have like Dolly Parton or like Eric Clapton, <laughs> like lightly and like he's like, yeah, he did some like pretty like crazy like kind of comedy tapes where he's just like. Down in the holler, and like in the background, you just hear like like sped up, like fucked up, like demonic Eric Clapton guitars and shit. And it's so crazy. <laughs> Even more demonic than the actual Eric Clapton. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I think I still might have it. It's floating around in here somewhere because I never threw it away intentionally. Oh, the Van Morrison. Yeah, I just have this Doors tape that at one point just flipped and. And reversed itself, so now when you put it in, it just plays doors at two times speed in reverse. Oh, and it's weird. like, it's like, what? Yeah, it was like a wrinkle that never got corrected. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it just forgot like two wrinkles on itself to unwrinkle. That's, that's what I love. I think part of my obsession with the tapes is that there is this kind of like, well, one, like you always see them in ghost movies, they're like the, the tape. Like I was just watching the new uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick Frost. There's like a, a new Nick Frost show. Him, where they're doing finding ghosts and stuff and um yeah they, they like find a tape that has the soul of this dog or something and it, it's like but i, I heard I, about that show yeah it's pretty cool damn i forget the name of it right now it's oh I'm sorry. i'll be right back <laughs> um but yeah for me i think it, it's oh it's kind of it's actually sort of started becoming um a quasi spiritual practice for me working on tapes just because i'm basically a a pretty impatient person have always been like as a child like extremely yeah. impatient and tapes are like you have to sit there and listen to the entire yeah, while thing. it plays <laughs> yeah. yes and yeah. like go back and 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 make sure the entire thing yeah. is uh together and so it's it's kind of been a, a, a sort of an intro for me i guess uh doing um yeah kind of t- approaching tapes as a as a kind of a spiritual practice not necessarily meditate well, meditational. There's a new joke that I started. I just rebooted my old tape label, Apartment 421 Tapes. And uh, I, like, jokingly on one of the tapes, uh, wrote, like, the Meta Tapes Department. But, like, M-E-T-T-A, tapes. So there's, mm-hmm. like, but it's also, like, meta because it's multiple meanings and all this and stuff. But yeah. uh, I was proud of that one. I just wanted to plug that real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like. It'd probably be good to for all our listeners to just talk a little bit about what you do and what you are in Delaware, Dan, and of itself. Because honestly, I I just lit, Steph had showed us, you know, clearly before you know we introduced to who you were, we would listen to some of the Delaware Dans. And oh my God, that first Delaware Dan pod, I love it. It is all over the place. It's like the experimental madness broadcast that I aspire to. Really, really something awesome. Thank you. That that first one was like kind of like a catching trying to catch everyone up to like um everything that's everything Dell or Dan up until that point. As and so I call, jokingly called it the origin story. But, <laughs> yeah. The um but yeah that uh and Steph was there for some of those performances in De- um yeah. up, up there in Delaware. An <laughs> an actual Delaware. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, uh, oh, I just found something out. Um, there is a, there is someone on, I, th- I just, I totally found this on accident. I was probably like stoned and like Googling myself again, but I was like, <laughs> found a, there's a Delaware Dan, like, uh, champion, um, Smash Brothers champion. 
and like there's there's this show. Do you know anything about this? I've been trying to keep listen. going. I want to make sure it's the same thing we're both okay. thinking about, but okay. I think there, I know what you're talking there's about. There's a podcast with all. It's like it's like kind of high production. Like as far as like I'm used to like a pretty decent production podcast of like just like yeah. chill bros chilling in a room and they're like yeah and there's this like and I was trying to figure out what the hell it was because it was like Delaware Dan undefeated or something. <laughs> I was like that's <laughs> like part of like the like a joke that I would make or something. And I'm like watching it and it's these kids sitting like on these chairs and they're in this room and they got their homie like on a screen in the background and they're chilling and they're like talking about and I'm like this is like a sports thing like did the did the real Delaware Dan like do a sports thing or something there's also the the concept of a real Delaware Dan I kind of like <laughs> you, yeah. know, flood, you know in, in you know for in the name of justice and the moon uh tried to do the flood the zone theory with that like put too many Delaware Dans out there and kind of erase the, <laughs> the original Delaware Just a bunch of waters. <laughs> yeah. But now there's like, yeah, and like, they're, so I'm watching this thing and like they're saying like, and they're showing clips of Smash Brothers and I'm like, oh, it's a Smash Brothers tournament and he's like fighting and his name's Delaware Dan and they're like, yeah, and I heard him say the phrase Delaware Dan. Like I, he says that phrase Delaware Dan on the chat when they're playing the game and he's chatting. <laughs> what? And so I was like, damn, you know, this is like, and that that was the original idea. It was like definitely. I used to work at the. It's now an Acme, but it was a Pathmark in Newark. Um, mm-hmm. I was in the deli, and I I didn't have a bank account. I was getting my checks cashed at the liquor store right next door, and so I was like waiting in line, kind of delirious post work like you know mentality going, and like just like waiting and and yeah over the radio this ridiculous ads like I'm gonna put you and your family in the new key a Spectra no problem, and he, and I was like. Hey, this, <laughs> <laughs> like, it did, like I had, a, I had such a little thought about it. I was like, "That's crazy." I was like, I'm Delaware Dan at the Route 40. He's down on Route 40, of course. Everything car. Yeah, related. always everything. It, <laughs> really? it only goes through Delaware for like yeah. back percentage of Delaware, you know. Everything You know, Route yeah. Route 40 is a really important road that connects uh, Delaware to Baltimore, but only if you're trying to take five hours to get to Baltimore from Delaware. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like you no, can yeah. If you want to go from New York to like DC <laughs> and you want to see the worst of America, <laughs> you take Route 40. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So I think it's 100% true. 100% of the time. Yeah, it's it's funny because like you see it in like Aberdeen, it looks like it looks in Elkton. Yeah, it's yeah. what it looks like yeah. in Philly. Yep. It's all exactly like the middle, same. And it looks the same when you get down to Baltimore. It's like, does it even look like Baltimore when it's up against Route 40? Oh. <laughs> it's just Route 40. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's its own thing. So I think but, yeah. it just kind of stuck in my head. I, I got home, and this was this must have been like back in 2011 or 2010. So actually, it's it's officially been 10 years of Delaware Dan. I think. Oh, wow. Like, That's wow. Pretty, I had that realization the other day. I was like, you know, and yeah, and then I, I like recorded some like I yeah, I got home and was like gonna write things for my to do the accent in because I also realized that me and my family and stuff, especially on my mom's side, they're all based out of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. They're all like they all have that kind of accent. So like I um yeah, I was just like writing things, basically like anything that had like an O syllable to try to yeah. Yeah, let's go O's you know, stuff like that. So it was like and uh, it was just on a SoundCloud for a long time, and like people were like, "Dude, I was listening to Delaware Dan on your SoundCloud," and I'd be like, "Oh shit!" They were listening to that more than my actual music. <laughs> I, used, I used to get really mad about. That. I used to get like, "Damn it! Watch this! Watch Delaware Dan end up being more successful <laughs> than the music." And um, 
Yeah, and then slowly I would kind of slip it into like Plague 64 uh, recordings. It, I think Delaware Dan- I took those recordings and added like royalty-free background tracks and slipped them on the, the first <laughs> comedy tape. Uh, it's called Comedy Volume One, and uh, that was that. And the rest they say. But I didn't think I would ever do. I didn't do a full like actual like Delaware Dan thing until like um, uh, what was it? It was like it's probably three or four years now, maybe 2019, I think. And um, I was recording an out al- the Plague 64 album, All Hail Yeah, and like in between would have these just like kind of goofing off with like synthesizers and samplers and stuff like that. And those would become the backing tracks, and I, I made this like Delaware Dan like trippy, like tape, and it it had like all the it was supposed to look like a church tape, that um that you would get, and it would have it was like oh yeah like yeah. you know kind of like a like an evangelical thing or something, and and then yeah from there it's so that's what that first episode is trying to compile all that shit up until like where he's now, and I also had some like fake yeah well you know and it's like. <laughs> Uh, the whole thing about like marketing, like marketing Zen and all, and like spiritual marketing—it's—it just feels like such an on-the-nose satire that maybe wasn't entirely intentional. Yeah, but, no, you're, like, you're exactly right about that. Because, uh, yeah, but like you know, it is there. There is a religion in America, you know. Yeah, I mean, capitalism is the biggest secular religion in the world. You could be any religion and, and be capitalist. <laughs> And, um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Despite the massive contradictions with most of the faith and and extreme capitalism, yeah, but, you know, it oh, still yeah. exists very prevalent. That's definitely how I became Buddhist. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we could talk about that too. Um, just like, uh, how did how did you come about? Like, would you would you self identify your journey with Buddhism as a Buddhist practice? Um, I gotta think about that. <laughs> Do you mean like, like? Would you describe yourself as a practicing Buddhist? I guess. Oh yeah, I am now. I've always been into meditation. When I was in high school, I got um, arrested for uh, uh, they, it was a threat. Like I posted on MySpace that I was gonna burn down my school entirely farcically. Like as a like it was like, purely a joke. Yeah, I was like a little upset, but my dumbass over. It was really it. popular at that time. I didn't think it was a problem because like every day you get on there, it's like tonight's the night, gonna kill myself, and I was like Jesus, you know, maybe. Put a- oh yeah, no, <laughs> I know someone who got in trouble for the same thing. Yeah. literally sarcastically being like, "Dude, I'm just gonna burn down my school." Yeah, like, <laughs> not a fun joke. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, like, and I, my dumbass, like over-explained like what I was going through to the fucking cops <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're and like, it was just this awkward it was such a bizarre experience and it ended up being this like catalyst for i had to go to a counselor after after i was like they like um you know i, I was never like uh imprisoned or anything but i was like i had to go through a diversion class basically and then after that was completed and they checked off on it uh, i had like um optional counseling so i actually went to go to a counselor up there in Ellesmere and um yeah the dude was like (laughs) he was like have you ever considered meditation as like an anger management thing because that that was that was sort of the I guess the the thing they were like oh well if if you're angry and you're saying you're gonna burn something down like 
you know, you need to like check your anger and stuff. And um, yeah, I grew up incredibly sheltered where like anger was almost celebrated and yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, the anger is just no, bubbling out of me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it was cool because I was like, and I only knew about meditation as like a, oh, like astral travel. Like I only knew it from this like kind of new yeah. age bend. And so I tried a bunch of stuff. We had a friend's mom. I remember when I moved back, I was in Philly. Then I moved back to Delaware and uh, was living in Newark. And a friend's mom was like giving us like, um, like, like uh yoga classes and stuff like that and um i kind of i think that was like the first thing where i was the moment where i realized like you know meditation was possible because i think i tried it i was like i'm like counting my breaths i don't understand like fixating so much yeah well what's the point (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. and over years and years i just like kind of on my own would would try to figure out like you know the best practice for me and stuff and I think I remember, like, in college, like, finding out about Ram Dass and stuff, and oh, I was coming right. back to that. Did it die? <laughs> I just don't even know if it was recording, actually. Oh, I think it was just in its pre-recording stage. Well, I can send you... <laughs> I can send you what you I have. He's got the Zoom audio. I got the last, oh, like, you 20 have audio? Yeah. Okay, okay, then, you know what? I'm just going to start it now. Okay, hey, guys, uh, just to explain, the, the audio is going to be terrible for the first bit of that. You're yeah. going to hear it, and it's going to switch into good audio. Dumbass. Because uh, I fucked up, and I didn't, uh, didn't hit the record the right amount of time. You, you promised us. <laughs> 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 it's not the power relationship works here. I'm definitely at the top. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's just like a pyramid. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, beneath, yeah, yeah, exactly. We stand on top yeah. of both of us. I mean, yes. you know, Steph's got an iron fist, but, you know, we all, no, we well, all appreciate it. On the topic of anger, you know, why not celebrate it a little bit? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a happy fist, that's for sure. It's a blissful fist. Yeah, hell yeah. But, yeah, but no, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, you were... How did yeah? So, the first few meditations were are always a rough ride. Like, yeah, you have to suffer through them. You have to, because that's also you know, in, in especially in like uh, you know, in most Buddhist practice, it's like you know, consider you know, you have to kind of contemplate suffering in general, and you know, kind of realizing like, all right, I might as well use this time for something productive. And that's been for me recently. Like, I I got really into doing like like sadhanas and stuff like this and like like a lot of visualization and I, I think I ended up just like not quite I didn't realize I'm not, I'm not quite there yet and I, I don't have a direct teacher that I'm working with so it's taking me longer to kind of figure this shit out um, oh yeah no it's 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 a lot to approach like in general um I mean I only really got involved with it through like a very specific space and a very specific practice back then and just like because like um i started going to meditation at the unitarian church in newark uh like in 2018 or 2017 it was earlier than 2018 i feel like it was like 2017 2017 because yeah we went to that unitarian yeah it was like a unitarian um sermon or whatever they do on sundays and i just remember like for whatever reason me and andrew got it in us to like roll up on them on Sunday morning, like, very hungover. 
and just be like, yeah, we're going to, like... I can use a little religion this morning. We're going to use a little bit of spiritualism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think I heard through that that they were like, oh, yeah, there's a weekly meditation or, or something. And then I showed up, and they were actually doing, like, this talk on Rumi that had nothing to do with the meditation that they do there. And it was in a different room. And I sat through this whole thing, and I was like, hey, so when do we meditate? And they're like, that's, like, two rooms over. And I was like, oh. Interesting, though, at least. Well, I should come back. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was really cool. But um, eventually, yeah, I just started coming back because it's like, it's like four or five old guys. One of those old guys was, like, my parents' college professor. They all kind of worked at the university and stuff. And um, they just, yeah, they just had this, like, Zen practice. Uh, grassroots Zen is what they called oh, it. Oh, yeah. Do you, know, um, do you know Ron and Sylvie Smith? Do you know them cats? You ever meet them down there at the universe, at the Unitarian Church? <laughs> I don't know. I know that they, uh, were, they, were, they went there a lot. Yeah, I, I might. I think we're thinking of the same Joan. Oh, um, uh, Ron or Sylvie. Sylvie would be my age. Oh. I don't know. Pro- maybe not. Oh, I don't know. Might be Grassmaster. Yeah, I just I went don't to know. high school with her. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's the thing is, is that going to that every... Because it would happen every Wednesday. And I would go every Wednesday. I was just, like, got on a kick. And that lasted a couple of years. I mean, I, of course, COVID stopped it. But we've been doing Zoom calls. And I haven't really been doing it. But um, at the time, just going up there every week, week after week, and doing the same sort of procession. Um, and, like, talking about, like, Dharma afterwards. It just, like was so rooting like to have like elders and stuff to talk about spiritual stuff with who like have been studying it their whole lives and stuff but like um i just i it started to stand out to me as one year turned to another year turned to another year going to the same place like people don't stick around from our age set like yeah like they would come in maybe once and i would like always be like i hope they come in again you know mm-hmm. like they were cool yeah. i'd like i enjoyed meeting that person and then um cause even like I even, even bumped yeah, even well, yeah. I came like twice maybe I think I came one other time but I just couldn't consistently um Milo came um that one time and I was like you went to high school <laughs> yeah like what's up and like and like it took him four like he went through the entire thing without like afterwards we're like done meditation I'm like so hey <laughs> before he was like Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Shit, I know people here. And I was like a weird one, too, because we were doing like the, um, sell it, like, uh, what's it called? The, uh, 50 days. We were doing like the 50 days of commemorating someone's death. Where, oh, like, yeah. do the whole thing. And you pour out the water and stuff. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, and it was just a really, it was a really heavy <laughs> zen for them to show up, and it was just like, Never came back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. No, I kept telling him, like, it's not always like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the uh, that's the thing. It's a lot of times, uh, oh, I'm reading, I could pull it out. I'm reading, I'm reading this little number right now. Highly recommend it. Oh, okay. But it's it's funny because, like, uh, he's talking, it's, uh, it's called Love and Rage by Lama Rod Owens. And uh, he's talking about how, yeah, his, like, first time, it just, like, just to be like completely with ev- like your yourself and he didn't realize he had all this like deep seated 
um, you know, I guess like negativity, we'll say. And, um, and just like couldn't handle it. And he was like, <laughs> originally he was like, this is, this is like some shit only white people can do. And he got, we would get mad and leave and stuff. But, um, you know, over time, I mean, he ended up becoming ordained in, I think, um, one of the Kagyu, uh, Tibetan uh, Kagyu sects. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it is, I think also for me, that was like the hardest part was like, yeah, uh, sitting with, you know, just, um, yeah, any kind of shit that I wasn't paying attention to. I was always pretty quick to admit when I would make mistakes, but I, I would be selective about it. And over time, I think meditation's kind of opened me up a lot more. And the, the other thing for me to have like, to have like, um, elders and, and people teaching you, that's such an important mm-hmm. thing. And that's something. Oh that, yeah. That changed everything. Yeah. Cause you, you can't, for, for me, it's like, I, I also got into, I, the reason why I think I tried out so many different um, methods and stuff or whatever, practices and, 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 and whatnot, was because I, you know, our, our, myself in general, but I think our culture in general, it's like, you can just download a book about this or read a book about it and maybe figure out, like, how to do it. Um, but meditation doesn't work that way. You can learn about the experience as much as you want, but the actual experience itself is like, you know, it can only be pointed out by someone who has experienced it themselves. And, you know, a little bit of that might get transmitted through like reading books as, as uh, you know, if you're watching trailer park boys, book learning and shit. But um, ultimately it's like, it's the actual experience and the, uh, the thing I, I, I decided to like officially kind of immerse my, practice and become a Buddhist, take refuge vows and stuff because of, uh, I happened upon Milarepa. There was this dude that I do not know at all. Yeah. I was going to ask you about (laughs) Milarepa. Yeah. Um, this, uh, um, a guy named Evan up in, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. I was, I was booking, it's currently the only Plague 64 tour that ever happened. Um, and I was (laughs) supposed to try to go up there, but he, he was going through some, I, I don't know. He's just like, I lost contact with him. And then years later he was like, yo, my bad, like some shit went down and like, couldn't really hang. And I was like, it's totally cool. And, um, yeah, he would like occasionally comment, but he was like, yo, he's like, I don't know you at all, but I feel like you would really like songs of Milarepa by alien Radigu, alien, alien Radigu, a French composer. She was a student of John Cage who also, I think my initial, um, experience with Zen, philosophy i guess if if you want to call it that uh that's what i'm <laughs> choosing to call it right now but like but zen in general was john cage and um was definitely obsessed with john cage as a youngster and then like really you know was like oh this is cool i, you know, I want to learn more about this i never did and um and eventually it came to yeah like this woman you know, from france worked with like tape loops sold you got you had me a tape and then loops on top of that. I'm like, oh, my God. So I was like, you can meditate, do tapes and shit and synthesizers and all this. So, yeah, um, I listened to it and um, kind of accidentally, like, experienced a, a little bit of a samadhi experience or, like, a, 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 a much more clear awareness of, of like, my mind and um, just, at, like, listening to it. I, th- I was like, I was like, I'm going to copy this to tape and just, like, sit and, like, stare at the machine. And like, yeah, and, and like watch like the bars, wow. Like so the bars, yeah, so you know? it's like tapes and and Zen are right there, neck and neck yeah. for you. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, it can, I mean, 
that makes sense to me. The like like loops and doing tape loops like that actually to to kind of um I don't know mantras. You know, I I, I was always in a mantra repetition. I grew up Catholic, so I was it was always yeah, like you yeah. know doing rosaries oh. and shit. So I was like, and I uh-huh. hated it as a kid. I was like, I don't want to. But then you slowly was like, oh okay, like my own musical experiences definitely, especially like I remember like taking like psychedelics and going seeing animal collective and stuff and they would he would just be like repeating something over it's it's like the they were doing Meriwether four years before the album came out and the songs were still super primordial so it's basically this dude like on whiskey like repeating lines or you know over and over and over again and and stuff and i remember being like all right like this original like sort of like chanting thing and how like that's so common across the entire earth um, yeah. you know, repetition as like a way to kind of mm-hmm. enter some sort of like trance state. And then I got into noise because a lot of noise, especially in, in like the Delaware scene, it was like all super repetitive kind of bloop beep bloops and all this. And like yeah. at, at those noise shows, it just modular be like, stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and then it, the more those dudes got into modulars was, it just got so crazy. And I remember, um, yeah, kind of, I guess always chasing this like feeling and then realizing that, you know, I I still was like fixating on stuff too much. Hearing the Miller Repetape was cool because they actually have they have um she has like a llama in the lineage that she was ordained in for the uh, Elian Radigue. I hope I'm saying that right. You know, up in Delaware, we don't have, I don't know how to say any of these French names. You just like Radigue, Radigue. <laughs> you know, but no, um, but yeah, it was like yeah. So they're and they're reading selections of stuff, and he has these songs of realization that were meant to. Like instill, like it would just like point like the student, like it would kind of plant the seed of, of enlightenment, or you know he, he called it Mahamudra, the ultimate uh, symbol or seal, and you know it would just Mahamudra. yeah, Mahamudra, yeah. Or Zen, you know Zen and uh, Dzogchen is the uh, is another name, but it's you know it's the same shit, oh. <laughs> same shit, different asshole. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding, but um, <laughs> the uh, but yeah the it would they would always um. Oh, so he would sing these songs and stuff, and they had a Tibetan Lama, you know, do do the chanting part, and then they'd have this guy, um, and he's might be, I think his name's Robert Ashby or Ashley. It's one of those, but he's like some artist guy, and he's he's got this like hip kind of voice, and you can tell he's like having a fun time reading the translation and wow. try, trying to get the words right, but. Um, yeah, it's it's. It sounds uh, pretty gonzo. Yeah, it's 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 out there, and I'm and just listening, and like yeah, the the llamas in one ear and the English translations in the other ear, and they kind of call and response, oh. and then all she's doing yeah. is creating a steady drone because I think back then those those synthesizers were a little more unstable, so she had to sit there and like basically yeah, meditate yeah, 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 with yeah. her hands on the, on the controls and like make sure it was trying right. to get the oscillator yeah, <laughs> yeah. to stay in the right key yeah and 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 create this like you know and yeah like towards the end of one i just remember like being like holy shit once you get to the end of it it definitely if you ain't enlightened by then it's all bullshit <laughs> like, i'm just kidding but like the uh yeah that that for me kind of started it and then i got i got his life story and um and that's how the game happened <laughs> yeah uh, later on. oh yeah I, th- I think that, like, for me, getting over that hump of being, like, able, period, to meditate um, yeah. had something to do with, like, prob- it, like I mean, I took yoga in college for my f- 
because I needed like a credit in physical education or something like that, which seems weird for college. But I was like, okay, so I took yoga in the summer when I was like a freshman. And um, like at the end of, you know, at the end of yoga, you do the vinyasa or, or uh, I forget what the corpse pose. I forget what that's called. Oh, yeah, that's my, that's my favorite one. <laughs> and, um, and we just lay there and like be zen for a while and you get all the freaking endorphins from working out and stuff a second ago. Right. It was, yeah. it was very, I mean, I had a really good instructor and I think that's where like I had the idea to start just like, oh, I should, I should go out and meditate. And, um, like somebody told me about 108 alms. I think I want to blame that on like Telesma or something doing the 108 alms and getting the necklace. Somebody at like yeah. a karma fest gave me like like the beads mm -hmm. and so I would do that and it was sort of like a challenge if you could say alm and get through 108 it you know you would come out of it and be like you know in this sort of afterglow kind of a thing but it yeah. it like that was where I got the methods to be able to just sit for so long but like doing it later when I started going to um uh UUFN it was just like because we would sit in sort of a lit room with nothing going on and um they do like 20 minutes and then they walk around and they do another 20 minutes so it's like 40 minutes or plus like not talking or anything um it really gets to be like you know you just when you sit down to meditate it's like part of you is just going like oh i don't want to do this anymore and it just that gets only louder the entire time he's <laughs> like Ugh, i don't want to do this right now and the whole time but like um you know i just got into like um like you said like repetition i'd synchronize my breath with like um and like just kind of think about the center of my vision and like make a mudra between my fingers and like get into these when you get into the flow state of like going back and forth between two things like uh, i would like focus my eyes say the mantra and then focus on my fingers and go back and forth between that and uh you kind of get these like breakthrough moments where like you're like uh, it's, it's over and then you're kind of like oh it sounds like, I mean, yeah, you guys are both talking about the exact same things. Just one done, like, musically or through tape and loop, and yours just done through physical action. Like, just, like, the it's it's achieving the same end result of almost, like, trance, really, from... Well, yeah. 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 Well, I, it's not about escaping anything, is the no, thing. No, 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 not escaping it's a. It's more about, um, like, it's like... Sinking is the one thing you don't take a break from ever. Yeah. You know, yeah. you never take a break. Yeah. You know, just give yourself a rest and stop thinking for a little bit. And it's not about trying not to think either, because you'd be thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is. It is kind of a uh, a paradox, but also like yeah, like a cycle like that. Well, yeah, I feel like I feel like your brain comprehending a cycle or or you know just things like either back or forth or repetition it kind of is a break from thinking in that although your brain is active it's not branching constantly doing new yeah. things it's just like taking that time to sit yeah in and one loop sit, and, sit and, with and... the sensory information mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, i've had some um some experiences with with uh with that so for me it's always the 
um, like I say, the practice I do is called shamatha, which is yeah, definitely inherently no different than any other practice. And it's it's like you have a focal point, and then it's like at the beginning you're suddenly going to be aware of all your thoughts, and like instead of just thinking, oh, I'm I'm sitting, I'm I am meditating, then all of a sudden it's just like. You, you, you're, you, there's this separate, almost separate awareness of the thought that I am meditating or something. So it's, so sometimes just the thought that the thought itself becomes a focal point, but it could also be a sound. It can be, you know, sometimes there, there, there's like uh, gazing at a, a, at a diagram or a, a yantra symbol or something like that, or even just a, a fixed point. This book I have is really funny. It's like, take a, a rock, a small rock. I was about to say the thing about the rock. Yeah. Cause we, we have, um, at, when we were still doing it up at UUFN, we would have a couple things like rocks and seashells and stuff to where, like, if some some newcomer came in and they really couldn't, like, sit still or whatever and they needed something, we would offer them the rock and they could just kind of sit and feel the rock the whole time. Because um, you would get these newcomers who just couldn't sit still and, <laughs> and, you, and we'd all be sitting around like, <laughs> you know, like, just come on, man. <laughs> yeah. For me, like, like when, whenever like a distraction happens or something, it, it would be so, I used to get so discouraged by it, but now it's like, oh, yeah. this is like yeah. another thing that can be like liberated in its place, as they say. Or like, as soon as I become aware oh. of the distraction, I, I, I can, I guess then kind of access this uh, sort of, not, not a secondary awareness, but j- just more like a, a, a broader, more vast awareness and yeah eventually all these thoughts that are kind of spinning out they do start to settle and like it'll even come it'll even happen where like one will come up but there's the analogy of like you're on a you're like on a boat watching birds go by or so or just really just watching birds go by or something and and instead of like fixating on every single like thought kind of like allowing but not like attaching or rejecting it just like being in this kind of like free flowing thinking state it's very hard to talk about. I don't know if I'm qualified to even talk about it, but I always kind of think about like, like like as like the the thought having sort of a tail on the end. And Mm -hmm. when I get to a certain point in my meditation, I'm keeping the tails really short from the, so the thoughts are still happening at the same rate, but they only last maybe half a sentence before I go and just kind of don't give it any weight to keep the tail rolling. And so Eventually, like popcorn or something, the thoughts will kind of start start slowly not coming as often. Um, yeah. But like the other thing is, is that it's only like I talk about it like it's not difficult for me to meditate. It is only I only get to these states in meditating when I've been meditating for weeks on end. It's right. not when I haven't meditated in a while, which is where I am currently. If I sat down yeah. to meditate right now. Like, in my current state, it would be just as hard as the first day I meditated. And I think that's such a discouragement for people getting into meditating, is that they think, well, every time I try and do it, it's so difficult. When it's more about just doing it and getting in, and into your life schedule so that it's, it has a place right. and, and it trickles down from there afterwards, like the insights and stuff. stuff. Yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> As we say, the uh, fruit of understanding slowly ripening. Right. Uh, oh yeah. It doesn't all come ripe at once every time you need it. You know. No, and then you got different seasons and conditions and all. Yeah. You know. Fruits only ripe once yeah. a year or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been going through through that. I, I think I was like getting too fixated on what my practice was, what 
you know, and then I, I'm like, I think I've, I just got to the point where I was missing the point. And, um, yeah, I think over time, especially, you know, like, uh, if, you know, if you take time away from doing it or, or, you know, having the intentional practice, it's, it's like, like a mirror collecting dust and then you sit and, and probably get through each mm-hmm. layer of dust and stuff until eventually, but yeah, even just sitting and yeah, doing the mirror it, analogy is always a good one. That's a classic one. And the, the other one I like is the, um, like the fishbowl or like, uh, it like, like water's like all murky until you like allow it to just settle and then the water becomes clear. That was uh, mm-hmm. early on. Like, uh, I think the first like conceptualization now, now my practice has taken, um, a form where I don't, I try not to conceptualize or they say, liberate everything, use antidotes to liberate your thoughts and, and then you then liberate the antidote too. So, so it's kind of mm. like you, you set up like this yeah. framework to, to basically, and that's also the same idea of like the, the um, focal point or like a, you know, a diagram or something, whether it be physical or, or visual or, or whatever. And, um, and then once you kind of get to this place, then they, you can take it away. And that, that's what I think Vipassana, um, that's, or, or special insight, that's what that meditation I think is all about. It's, it's then kind of like making inquiries as to like what awareness is, what the mind is and what thoughts are. And like, even though like, all right, I already read in a book that it's not, you know, it's, it's not this or it's this or something. It's like actually experiencing it. And like one mm-hmm. is just a step for the other. And then it just kind of rotates between these two. And that's just, that's one practice. I, I think Zen, Zen being a Mahayana uh, practice, I think uses that too. I believe. I, I filter pretty much everything through one, like, like the, the Bodhisattva vows, of course. But um, I think everything that I relate to this is either related to the Heart Sutra or Sandokai. Um, yeah. And I think that that in its in an in and of itself um, is rooted to the idea that like form and emptiness are of the same thing. It's sort of this like dual here or not here sort of thing. Um, and uh, like the story of of like um, I, some because like this was the thing with going to Zen every week is that like you don't talk about anything when you're meditating. But, and then we maybe get 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes afterwards before we get bored of sitting around talking and want to leave. But in those couple minutes afterwards, we would usually always talk about some piece of Dharma. Um, and it was just sort of those random spur of conversations and like deliveries of stories and stuff is where I kind of gleamed all of my knowledge of, of Buddhism in general. Um, yeah because I would have so many questions. Um, and just like um, one of those stories he talked, uh, George probably told me once, um, he was talking about this American guy who came, or maybe he was an American, he was a foreigner, and he came to stay in a, in a Zen monastery for a while, and they were talking about the Heart Sutra. And so he understood the words of the Heart Sutra, and then in the middle of the night, he got caught taking a piss somewhere in a Zen monastery. Um, and one of the like monks was like, hey, what the hell? You can't pee on our shrubs. And he's like, well, you said form is the same as emptiness. This is emptiness right here, right now. And um, the, you know, the monk kind of having to be like, yeah, but you're still pissing on my bush. You know, so like, 
uh, don't do that. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it, it comes down to like there isn't an inherent, inherent all something suchness. You know, there is not that, but there is consequences. There's karma and like, there's there's suffering. Yeah, yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah it's it's. I, I love something so much about that and that story in particular because there's just such a there's there's just a very realness to it. It's like it's like yes, of yeah. course. It's like these things are one, yeah. but also yeah, you might have a you're still peeing on my bushes. Yeah. Like I can't like, tell you how that still... still matters, but it does because here it is. It's <laughs> yeah. happening. Like and we yeah, can't and not pretend. Yeah. 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 yeah, we can't pretend you're not pissing in the bushes right now. <laughs> like it's that's happening. what I love about this new. So like yeah, one one thing Lama Rod. Owens is um, talking about is a lot how like uh, a lot of uh, Buddhist practitioners are like notably absent from any sort of social action and that like now we're living in this time where like since like the Dharma has like spread all over the world and stuff specifically in the West that like there are people that are socially you know activated or you know but definitely like trying to make things better because uh, you know well, y- y'all know about spiritual bypassing and stuff. People being like, we're all free, like, you know, <laughs> and all this shit, but it, they don't want to do anything about it. Where it's like, yeah, we still live in a, in a world of consequences. Otherwise, we wouldn't live in a world of consequences. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. So, it's like karma is the only way for there to be anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, and like, I, I always, I make a joke. There's sometimes I'll slip, like, Without like, then that's been the weirdest thing with Delaware Dan is like it's it has sort of become like, like a little bit of a, a it itself is becoming a dharma practice for me just a little bit even though it's it's weird to say it's not yeah it's a it's a koan it's a koan joke yeah, you know yeah, advertisement joke nothing yeah exactly yeah and um so the, sometimes I'll s- slip little hey, things. advertisement is for nothing yeah <laughs> make it the best advertisement ever made <laughs> that, that's the whole point. My whole thing is I've been trying to call in the, on Tim Heidecker's podcast and trying to get, trying to get, um, you know. Yeah, more, I was going to ask you about Tim Heidecker. <laughs> yeah. I got one in and then my damn, I like, I must have hit a button or something, but I, I had like oh. messaged him earlier to do, I was like, hey, like here, I'm going to call in and do this like ad for their coffee. They have this the three stogies coffee, <laughs> which is so funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it. Do the thing. <laughs> If I if I have it, I'll do it. Yeah, the um. So I I was like, all right, I'm gonna like build up and like it needs a little bit of a backstory of like what Delaware Dan is. So I called in, I landed the first two, and the whole thing is it's supposed to be like word vomit, and then like no problem, and then like and then the punchline would be the third like advertisement, which would be the one for the coffee, and then my shit cut out. I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, damn it. And I've been trying to call it ever since. I've, I've had to work and shit while they, you know, while they do the, the show. But I, it, I always thought it'd be funny, like, to slip, like, little, like, things. I, I'm trying to be careful with it, though, because I don't want people to think I'm making fun of the Dharma or something. That's, like, something I'm trying to be sensitive about just because there are, you know, it's not um, a world that I was raised in. And, you know, it's one I definitely yeah. myself want to be very sensitive. Yeah, it's like a different cultural lens that you're viewing through a western lifestyle but at the same time it's like you're satirizing western treatment of the very topics like yeah right that's that's more the yeah yeah and and so i try to reword things into a way that would make sense to like any like you know dumbass like me like waiting in line at 7-eleven in baltimore somewhere or something just be like what and then all of a sudden, like, I heard this advertisement and it became enlightened or something. It's, like, it's, not, 
<laughs> I don't think I'm able to do that. But I, you know, that is kind of like the idea. And it's what well, is funny because yeah. it's like advertisements are always like, "We're gonna, your life is going to get so much better." Like if you buy this product, yeah, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And so that was like the that was the joke with. Well, the I mean, there's always in Zen. There's a lot of these stories of things like, um, like the guy. I think the guy like put his bench on his head. And like everybody in the room instantly became enlightened or something like that. Like it's <laughs> it's hard. Like there's sort of that like con joke to it. Like, like, yeah, like the humor is also a fundamental part of like, that's life it. and that's reality. It. That's it exactly. You can't get around it. Like, the shit is yeah. funny. It's always going to be <laughs> funny. You can't... It, I think that's an important lesson with all things, is, like, don't take yourself too seriously. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. why that story isn't, like, about something very But don't somber. take it not seriously enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the pissing in the bushes. You know why it's pissing in the bushes? Because right? that's fucking funny. And, like, yeah. when they told that story, you're going to remember a funny story. You're uh-huh. going to remember... Like, yeah. humor is human. Like... It's so I definitely, I definitely it, could think of some other Zen dirty jokes. Yeah, pretty much. We're not dirty, but, but they're just like they're vulgar. Like yeah, he, well, like, like there's the one about cutting the cat in half and stuff. And like, like look, I don't know. Yeah, humor wouldn't be fundamentally human if people didn't crack up laughing when people farted. Like farts are funny, and farts are like fundamentally human. So like humor is like it's got to exist. You know what I mean? Like. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just well, one of those and, things you can't and deny. And the other thing is is that how long was the was the Dharma transferred before it ever even got written down? You know? Right, yeah. Yeah, word of yeah, word of mouth and, and stuff. And that's why all these things are written to these very concisely built mantras to be constantly repeated. Because these guys were going around like, don't forget it, don't forget, forget it, it, don't forget, yeah. it, don't forget <laughs> it, don't forget it, don't forget it. Yeah. Just it's like eighty four thousand miles to get and they're just walking. With like a mule, yeah, behind yeah, them. over like, the fucking oh literal God. Himalayas. Yeah. By the time they got to China, they were like, "Hey, I gotta tell you some shit. You better know it." <laughs> I, I remember like this little essence. It's, they always say it's like the seed, and then it then it all grows from the seed. Yeah. So, oh yeah. It's funny though because of how much of this, how much of what we understand now as being Buddhism, is sort of kind of spread out against across footpaths and yeah. the hundreds of thousands of years of transference or I might be wrong about that but um, it's a very it's a very living thing and I think that there's like the discipline in Buddhism is that you can't be a master unless someone else who's a master confirms you and I think that certain disciplines and stuff that uh, you know that the Gautama actually sat down when he when he sat down his stuff uh, I think that a lot of those were in place to make sure it didn't get watered down over time and right. I think we have all these other faith systems now that are being used so like godderly wrong and not to say that you know people can't use Buddhism in, like incorrectly I think negative. that I think that 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 the word that's being transferred is closer to the source than a lot of other things simply because of the confines of languages and the political systems they were delivered in. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, I don't think there's anything inherently different between, you know, Christianity and Buddhism. I just think that Buddhism is is a much bigger thing at this point. Yeah. I I think for me also kind of going back to... Uh, my Catholic upbringing. I remember. Oh, oh, sorry. If we get, if we get disconnected, we'll start a new one. 
Also, if no, I... No, we still good. All right, right on. Um, the, the, uh... Yeah, I don't really know how to set up Zoom calls, so I don't know if there's, like, a time limit or something. Oh, well. Yeah, in the past, I think me and my cousins would do it where it's, like, then the other one starts the new Zoom. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I remember, like, going to confession and shit and, like, like being like, all right, I don't know what to tell this dude. I don't want to tell him about what I'm actually doing in my life and stuff. So I'm just going to tell the priest, like, yeah, I think I, and I did. I was like, I really just doubt, like, the church and shit and, like, all this stuff because I'm hearing all this, you know, all these different things and, you know, people being contradictory to, like, what the Bible says and all this shit. And, um, and he was like, that's actually a good thing. And I never understood that until Buddhism, basically. I was like, I think the, the teachings of, like, yeah, of, like, Bodhisattva vows or Bodhicitta, the, that kind of like altruistic, um, mm-hmm. like being the altruism being the center of all of the teachings. Uh, one is not only extremely yeah, the valuable. The first thing is that you're freeing all beings from suffering. Yeah, it's, for, yeah. it's for someone Step else. One. Yeah, it's not just for you, you as an individual. It's for everybody. And I was like, that's I think what what a lot of a, a lot of what gets lost in like uh, like Christ teachings and stuff like that is like. Um, you know, I imagine, uh, you know, the figure Christ as someone who was, had an immeasurable bodhicitta and like definitely really, and definitely, uh, I like to imagine a more radical, um, version. And, and I think that gets totally diluted and changed, uh, conveniently for, for specifically white supremacy reasons and and what have you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I've been yeah. Uh, I've been entertaining the idea that the Book of Revelations was about Constantine and the Roman Empire, <laughs> and that oh, we've been wow. in hell ever <laughs> since. <laughs> I've uh, Vallis, since I started reading Vallis recently, and that was that seems to be one of the points. And he was like <laughs> trying to bring up Philip K. Dick, uh, bringing up in that book about how like yeah, Rome Rome never ended and all this stuff and. Yeah, yeah. We have like this fake version of uh, Christianity and stuff, but you know, I don't want to just make claims like that. The, the mm-hmm. well, kind of yeah. also going back to what we were talking about as far as like humor and stuff. There's a couple interesting reflections that I've been really, really enjoying, and one of them was like uh, it. You know, um, I think in one of the sutras, words of the Buddha saying um, that you know, not too tight, not too loose, and that's that's become like direct like a direct instruction for my meditations that's been very helpful um not being so fixated on on meditating there's this non-meditation aspect of meditating where it's like isn't that funny i'm just like some dude sitting on a cushion right now and like (laughs) and and that kind of you know helps me but i'm not too relaxed about it either and that's 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 been a really important thing and another point i wanted to make about comedy was that uh, one of Milarepa's names is uh, the laughing, um, the laughing diamond, or the, uh, the laughing Vajra. Vajra being the um, kind of indestructible. It, it points to like the idea of emptiness and clarity, or the compassion and emptiness combined. But yeah, his name's the laughing Vajra. In a lot of pictures, he's like smiling and shit. And I always thought that was funny. I was like, Yo, this dude. I'm super into this dude <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> No, yeah, and it's, I think that you really have to go about understanding Buddhism in that way, in that, like, you find a few things that work. For me, like, Kuan Yin, uh, I don't know, just, like, you find these things that work, you find these deities, and um, I know that Richard, um, 
and UUFN has talked extensively about um, uh, the enigmatic signifier, uh, just sort of like a placeholder for a bigger, more complex thing. Um, and that I kind of think of these stories and these deities as being sort of these enigmatic signifiers that we kind of always look to. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, but I do think it's, I don't know, it's just it's so rich with so many different stories that it's hard to approach from, for me, like, I just don't know, like, like, half the stuff that you talk about involving Tibetan stuff, like, I just have no clue about. I have, no, I have never heard, I've never encountered, I don't know how to encounter, you know, and, um, but it, it, it does feel a little bit like that, but, um, I think that the practice supersedes, like, the finger, you know, pointing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I almost am kind of like I've been confused about like why, like why specifically, you know, Kagyu Tibetan Buddhism for me, and it's like, and it feels weird. I mean, I was definitely kind of like, I would have feelings of, uh, I don't just was confused about it, and and I I still don't fully really know why specifically Tibetan. I, I think it, re- yeah, like like you said that. Oh, but Tibet. Every time I hear a good, every time I hear a story about old Tibet from Buddhist lore, it's always amazing. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's it's so, I don't know. They're they're always good stories. Um, I'm trying to keep my like, uh, my like, my like gaze, my like vision. You know, my you know, I'm trying to be mindful of like what you know. How much am I like? Uh, Am I just enjoying it because it's this like exotic story or something? And but I think that even even in Tibet, they yeah. they just have it's it's well no not even just in general mythology, I think, um, is has been part of the the pointing, so for any, whatever purpose mythology ends up. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And, and folklore is inextricable from humanity. You know, it's yeah. It's a it's a dialogue about reality. Well, and it's the stories important enough to be passed along forever. <laughs> you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Like it's it's yeah. the ones that it's talking, it's, that yeah, endured. it's talking about the stuff that actually matters. Yeah, like what has endured, you know? The timelessness and like and like the universality too. I like I you know some place that's literally the other side of the planet be one thing or the oh. other and you know you, there people are still basically inherently saying and doing the same thing and that's like so important to just remember it's like one like we're still like one human people and like like a lot of cultures are a lot more similar than i think a lot of people accept like we're really all just people we do a lot of the same things fundamentally like we have Mm. to you know we're all we're all built very much the same really yeah yeah in, in, in a surprising number of ways that I feel like is underappreciated. I, I, um, that's been a, a thought, especially very recently with, you know, all the, um, all the shit with Palestine and, and Israel and just like, uh, you know, re- remembering borders are bullshit. <laughs> the only reason why shit like that happens is because people are like this, these are borders, you know, the, this is, this is my land now or something. It's just this whole, sickness this like um that you know and i think it it does come from being disconnected from nature it comes from being disconnected from each other and 
you know, that there's like a mental border between us and nature, and then therefore we build borders between all of ourselves and shit. And, you know, I definitely, you know, can see like, I'm not sure exactly how, but like, you know, meditation for me is like in one way, you know, been a good way for me to kind of deconstruct my own like rigidity or like ideas that I was clinging to that I didn't even know that I was clinging to um, specifically about separation and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, we're definitely in like a (laughs) pretty crazy world. How do we, how do we try to fix it? And, And the idea that you can do it on an individual level and collectively and that that i think that's why uh mahayana buddha's practice or zen or or you know and tibetan is generally very is mahayana and i think that's why i stuck with learning a lot about tibet and stuff and then just the crazy the crazy shit with uh you know tibet itself getting invaded and then you know at this in this way like allowed the dharma to then flourish even more which is like proves to me like that just the the teaching of interconnectedness in general no matter what religion or it is indestructible it's the indestructible thing and and even though people suffer all the time we can we can lessen um suffering as much as we can and and that'll look different depending on the world and place we live um, and i think the big uh, the big beauty of a lot of those fundamental ideas is there I don't know. You can, I don't think you can really kill something like that. Like it, like that. Those kind yeah. of fundamental ideas of interconnectedness can be re- like if you were to release erase everyone's knowledge of religion and religious texts forever, some of the same things would come back. Like you know, people make the argument that they wouldn't. <clears throat> like oh, if you were to destroy every religious text, you'd never get the same thing again. I'd be like, you might not get the same stories. But the same end goal would still be attained, right. and I it's believe that. Like, a, the same practices would come out of it, because it's, it's one of those things that are really fundamentally fundament. true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. there, we, it wouldn't be around so long and so fundamental to our existence unless there was some importance to it. And that's what I think I, is... I, I totally love that. And, th- and <laughs> I, I think what makes it fundamental is that it is free from, like from pretty much any sort of restrictive structure. Like what, what makes like an idea that interconnectedness and and emptiness and stuff is fundamental. I think what makes it indestructible is the fact that there's no, like you don't have, it doesn't have to be one thing or another. It's just, it's already free of like any sort of category or, you know, framework or something. It's something that will just inherently be there no matter what. And um, that's cool. There's probably some sutra thing. There's probably some, you know, and the other th- Rumi too. I think Rumi helped a lot of my meditative practice because he's so fucking funny, but so like, he's so everything actually. He's so, you know, there's like a lot of yeah. darkness and a lot of light and stuff. I remember like I was working at a at an endoscopy center in Newark uh, in, in um, the early 2010s and just like crying in the bathroom like tears of joy and being like, I don't understand what the hell's going on. I also didn't sleep back then, but the, uh, I was like, I would like read Rumi and just like, yeah, just, I felt like I was being cracked open. And that, and that was always, um, you know, the idea of like ecstatic poetry and shit. I'm like an insomnia, some Rumi, and and endoscopies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To to really push you to epiphany in your life. That's how the band Lettuce Park started. So that's that's, <laughs> that's a deep cut right there. 
let us play. That's one of my first bands. But yeah, and it's funny. It's always gone hand in hand with my with my musical experiences, whether it be whatever I'm listening to yeah. and enjoying, yeah. and, and then what I'm doing on my own. And that's yeah, it's sort of. Uh, I think that that's one of the things about synchronicity, is it's like yeah. it's like the shrooms of life. It, mm-hmm. it correlates things that aren't correlated. Right. Um, I like that sure. analogy a lot. And like. It's definitely, synchronicity is one of those things that's kind of coming out of that inextricability and stuff that we talk about with, with Buddhism. Um, and I think that's one of the things we're really getting focused on recently with the paranormal investigating is sort of like the illusory nature of reality in general, uh, the, the sort of dream space of reality uh, in general. And getting to see that sort of thing firsthand is yeah. is pretty uncanny. Um, oh, but it's one of those things that, like, until recently, we didn't really realize how prevalent in our lives it already was. Mm-hmm. So we really started looking at it closely. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's one of those things. Everybody has a ghost story, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Or something. Everybody's got a weird story. Oh, yeah. 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 X Files yeah. type shit. <laughs> we did. We did. They're probably gonna. I don't know if they'll come out before or after this, or in what order. But we basically sat down and tried to write down all the weird experiences we ever had, and it took us about like three times to write the list because it just kept getting longer. We were like, wait, but this too. And then while recording the episode, we were just yeah. We're, while recording it, we're actually remembering stuff and <laughs> relating new stories entirely. And we get done the whole thing. Three hours of recording. And we're like, wait a second. I didn't tell five of my biggest stories. <laughs> so I had to go back in and re-record them. It yeah. was it was just yeah. it was bizarre. And it and like the very act of doing it is causing weird things to happen in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of one of those things we're kind of watching the envelope bend, you know. Yeah, but yeah. um I don't know. I I'd like I'd like it to be rooted in the transference of dharma like i don't want to do anything uh with you know investigating or anything that's rooted in an impure space or something because i feel like the more you put into it the more that stuff will come right back out on you you know yeah yeah oh sorry oh um i've been really into um i've been I, i received my like refuge vows and stuff like over the internet through um uh, dude out in uh, Arizona, Garchen Rinpoche, his, uh, his eminence. Uh, he, he was uh, yes. he was arrested and in the war uh, in Tibet, and then um, imprisoned for a long time. His story is actually a little bit similar to Milarepa's in that he endured like these crazy hardships, being in jail and stuff. And he had he met his root guru and stuff, and had all these realizations, and just like is like to this day this like embodiment of completely pure compassion and he's always saying the dharma is pure you can't you can't taint the dharma you can taint teachings about it but you can't taint the dharma itself or like you can't taint like pure you know um pure reality or ultimate reality all all dharmas are forms of emptiness exactly not or destroyed yeah and and you know obviously the karmas that lead to the phenomenal realm be them as extravagant and crazy as they might seem sometimes you know they still all branch from 
the the uh, I guess an, an inherent source. And yeah, I guess as long as uh, as long as people remember compassion in those moments, because I'm, I'm me and me and my girlfriend got really into watching ghost stories and stuff, and then that fucking documentary that had. It had like this mystery man, but it was clearly Tom DeLonge. <laughs> he, he was like, he was like symboling, like with this signaling that it was him, and shit. And we were like, yo, it's fucking the dude. It's this guy from Blink One Eighty Two. But like in that story, yeah, there's like you know all these like gruesome tales and stuff. And then and that branched off into this sort of algorithmic uh, binge watching uh, scenario where we're watching all these things and. Yeah, like a lot of those, like the whole idea of like a ghost being caught is because something traumatic happened that created like, and it, you know, it's like burnt toast from the shining type thing. And it's like, oh, well, these, these are like souls that are just so confused. And that's, that's the thing I think a lot about Tibetan lore and stuff, because Tibet's interesting because mm-hmm. it's not just Buddhist stories. It's like their Buddhism is definitely informed by like Bon and like local religions and shit. And yeah, there's definitely like just so many ghost stories and stuff, and I think um, that's been really in India also, and all yeah, and like a lot of places where they they came to deliver their teachings, they would get there, and people would be like, okay, but can you help us solve problems when we got problems with ghosts? And they're like, hell yeah, <laughs> you know, because like they're trying to get people into their religion, yeah. So like, of course they're gonna help you with your ghosts. Yeah, hell yeah. I just watched, um, they did, the guy, Stephen, I think his name's Stephen Chow, he made Shaolin Soccer, but he did a film adaptation of Journey to the West recently. I don't know if y'all have seen that. Oh, that <laughs> this cool. shit is bonkers. It is so I've good. I've seen Shaolin Soccer. <laughs> it's like, it's like on that level. I've, I haven't seen all of Shaolin Soccer, but it's like crazy yeah, yeah, action sure. sequences, insane effects. And yeah, it's about like a guy, a, like a Buddhist novice monk who's like, trying to become a demon hunter and stuff. And then I, I was like, I saw that after I had made the, the Milarepa demo, J- JRPG demo thing. And was just like, yo, that's fucking nuts. But uh, I got to read that book. <laughs> Journey to the West. Yeah. Check, check how did you, uh, and so how did you come to, how did you start making the game Milarepa? And maybe tell us more about that. I have to grab my charger real quick. My shit is about to die. Posterity's sake, also. Um, but yeah, all right. So okay. the, the Milarepa game, I right when I started getting into undertaking like a formal Buddhist practice um, and trying to you know learn about that as much as I can and, and then put it into practice, I was also spending a lot of time smoking weed and playing Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, a couple years ago, Square Enix like made their they released like the first six. They they had like it was like fifty percent off. So I got I played six as a kid with my cousin. Of course, back then it was called three, but that's a whole nother. Yeah, you could do a whole podcast about that. But the uh, <laughs> the um, you know, I went back and replayed it. And was just like I just love this game. I'm not super into games that much. Um, 
maybe about seven years ago I was into Minecraft, but after that I didn't really like do too much with it and um, with gaming and, and stuff. And it just kind of like, yeah, just like wasn't interested in playing games. And then, you know, then I was like, wait, I have this iPad. I can like download games and stuff but i was I never wanted to get like bubble pop or any of that and then when i saw final fantasy 6 i was like that's the one game i'm gonna play and just was like i just love like how the simple storytelling platform of like those old jrpgs and just like yeah, it's kind of addictive um you know leveling up and all that and stuff and i remember being like yo this is probably like not like I, for some reason, I was really like into like doing things traditionally, even though again I was not raised in in any sort of tradition other than, you know, Catholicism and stuff. So I was like, yeah. I was just like, I don't know if I should be doing this. And then, but I was like playing the game and couldn't help but like imagine a version that was like, you know, kind of had this. It was based more off like Tibetan folklore and and stuff like that. And I'm definitely not anywhere. Uh, knowledgeable about it that much but I as a lot of my what I do know about it is from like studying Milarepa and you know and looking things up and stuff and getting the, understanding the geography of the land and the history and stuff and like how they you know a lot of the history is only preserved through like Buddhism um, in general and stuff like that and, and that's that's just been like I guess the reference point and I think oh I saw I saw this movie Soul on a String. It's a Chinese film that takes place in Tibet and is like a modern film, but everything in it I would, like just like how there's still so many like there's so much of Tibet that has not changed. There's like the people still just yeah. kind of dress the same, do the same stuff, but then then there'll be like a car like driving down and with like 15 people in it. And I was like this this just it reminded me a little bit of like you know, like a real life, like kind of, um, like, a, you know, a place that you could do like a, a story like Final Fantasy in it. And then this, I was watching this movie where that's exactly the case. It's like, it's this guy going on this quest and stuff. And, you know, and it totally, and I used to, um, well, anyway, yeah. So it's, it's, um, pretty, pretty cool movie, Soul on a String. Um, and yeah, I would, I think I just got the idea like, oh, that, like, the more I studied Milarepa was like, would it be disrespectful to make a game about it? But then I was like, well, not if it like, just like had like the basic teachings of like kind of introductory Buddhism and stuff and could, you know, potentially be like maybe an introduction for somebody into, you know, look, learning more about Milarepa. And I, I, um, I like when I tried sitting at a, uh, at a temple in Baltimore a couple times and, and it was, it was really cool. I met this dude, and he was just like so stoked. I remember I brought up Milarepa, and he like lit up. He was like, "It's like what a hero! Like I love that guy." And it was, he was like so happy about it. And I was like, "It'd be cool to do like a Final Fantasy type game with you know Milarepa as a hero." But like it's like they're like non-violent battles, and he's only battling like you know his own I afflictions think, yeah. and stuff like that. And then my I forgot that there was my old my former bandmate from Tendrils. Nathan, he had a he had the Buddha comics, the manga. There's the there's this Buddha manga that's made by the guy who did Astro Boy, and yeah, it's all about um, oh. yeah, Gotama Buddha, like, and yeah, he, like he when he's sitting under the tree and like the Maras appear, and then he realizes the Mara, it's like his own 
karma caused this mar this demon to appear and it's it just and it turns into like this dragon ball z type fight and like i don't know it's it's it was pretty awesome i was like yo this could be like a cool so yeah when pandemic hit and we were actually quarantined uh, because we, um, my partner ended up getting COVID and, and fortunately recovered really well and didn't, had no major um, complications from that. But we were we were quarantined. And I was like, let's. I'm just gonna make this game. And like, also, That's I always awesome. wanted a I w- wanted a reason to soundtrack a video game. Like, I always yeah. felt like Plague 64 and the Hexagrams was already kind of like a soundtrack to soundtrack, some made up, yeah. yeah, like a made up game or movie Fantasy or something. World, yeah. yeah. And, have, you, have you ever heard of Undertale? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, I'm gonna Because yeah. I was gonna say, if you want something that is great non-combat RPG, like inspiration and just like, because that, I mean, but I really, I really like that idea because you can take these simple folk tales and these stories and condense them into a very interactive and interesting experience, and it's a real landscape that, like, no, I really like the idea because I agree. Yeah, like, yeah. you can you can transfer a lot of story very effectively and interactivity in simple stories, like through that format so well. I would recommend Undertale if you want, because there's combat in that game, but there doesn't have to be. And the way they deal with that is super interesting. And, like, it's, I don't know, it's it's phenomenal. But I really, really like that idea, and I'm excited. Hell about yeah. It. <laughs> Thank you. Well, definitely, Undertale, I'm checking that out. Uh, the, yeah, it's the, awesome. My friend Billy, who's in, he's in that band Buck Gooder, he's, like, Notor- not notoriously. He's 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 been pretty outspoken that he's like anti video games or or he himself doesn't play video games. He's just not interested <laughs> in stuff. I mean he played some when he was a kid or he would be hanging out at a friend's house and they'd be playing Xenogears and stuff. But but he uh when he saw that I had posted that um the that I made this like Millarepa game, uh he was like he was like, That's like I don't play games but I would play this game and I was like, That's pretty cool. And yeah, he, he's he's really into nonviolence and, and and stuff like that, and I, I just thought that was cool. Yeah, I think I think that format has a lot to offer, especially in more recent eras. I think people are realizing that the whole format of video games is a very good way to apply a story to somebody and get them to listen to it. Oh, for sure. Because the yeah. you know it's it allows it allows a certain level of interactivity and like yeah, I don't know it it, it helps you yeah. feel connected and, and to the material. And I've definitely been feeling it lately that like. It'd be nice if there weren't so many games on the market that were directly related to just combat. Oh yeah, that's why I think yeah. Undertale, and I think when you look it up, you're going to be very pleased with it. It's it, it's 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 genius. It took the JRPG and turned it into something completely its own. It, it is it is amazing. I think it's one of the it's one of the most <laughs> I've, genius I've, I've ways. I've seen a, a meme yeah. account that I follow has been like undertale posting and i'm like what's this oh it's great they they turned a whole genre on its head in such a beautiful way that i think is probably one of the most impressive things i've seen in like 10 years like it really i was like (laughs) i love jrpgs and i had like kind of tired on them and then i like saw undertale and played some of it and i was like oh this is incredible it's it's really beautiful (laughs) we've been playing a lot of mario Picross. I swear to God, it's literally been the three of us in the living room, like, on my TV. I'm controlling, and we're just playing this little puzzle game where you knock out, like, little squares to make a picture. To make a picture. <laughs> <laughs> cross. That was, it's good, yeah. Some good shit. That's what's up. <laughs> um, so, I, I kind of want to, at some point in our interview, I want to put you in hot water. Um, yeah. Have you ever had a, a paranormal experience or any kind of experience that was extra objective oh. in nature? 
you know, as soon as we're done the interview, I'll remember the big ones. But yeah. <laughs> the ones that come yeah. to mind um, are uh, are pretty funny. There, there's um, the 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 one the main one that I remember. Uh, Frank Hurricane ended up like telling the story at a, one of his shows. Um, but yeah, when I was living in Newark uh, with my ex Britta, we lived in we lived at Skid Row, and uh, we lived like on the corner there of uh, Delaware Avenue, and um, it was like, oh, it was uh, it was the day before Halloween, and I think it was coincidentally like about to be or was a full moon, and I was and I read somewhere on the internet like, yeah, if you want ghosts to come to your house, like throw some pennies, like or lay some pennies down in front of your door and our bedroom was like right at the front door so I, I put some pennies down went to bed it was like whatever and it was like so like I don't if I know some of you are you all from Newark or would you oh no okay. I'm, from, uh, I'm from Chesapeake City but I spend a lot of time in Newark cool yeah we're both from Chesapeake City you are from Harco. Yeah, I'm from Harco. But we've all right on. been in so, yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's a college We're town. It's a party town. Yeah, so especially on full moon, shit would just be bonkers. And, and where Skid Row is yeah. located is yeah. right in the middle of the town. So mm-hmm. it, there I, I was, know what you're talking about. There was people, always people everywhere. I got used to falling asleep to, like, people, like, like screaming. like yeah. And one night some dude... Yeah. I'm gonna I'm about to get way off topic, but yeah, this shit was always happening around our house. It got kind of frustrating after a while, but like the um, so this particular night, like there was like yeah, a bunch of people out, and you know they're they're you know I fell asleep to like everyone being out, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, and it was just like completely silent, and I I didn't look at a clock or anything, so I don't know what time it was. It was just like you know just the street lights out the window and dead like no cars no people no nothing so i was like all right must be like five in the morning or something about to be sunrise i'm not sure and um all my my partner she's she like my ex she was like sitting upright in the bed and was like looking as if someone was standing at the foot of the bed and i and oh. she was like she, seemed like she would like was like about to say something or something and just was just like kind of like like in this like had this like was fully awake and i was like what the fuck like what are you doing and she was like shh and i was like what's what the hell is that like is someone breaking it like what's going on and she was like i need to know what she's gonna say i want like and i was like what the fuck and then i woke i like shook her and i was like britta what the fuck is going on and she was like she's like oh i don't know i just i was asleep i don't know and i was like that's insane and oh. so then, That's the, the next morning, I asked her about it. I was like, "What the hell was that?" And she was like, "Oh, I don't know." It was like, "But did you hear that thing?" And I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And she was like, "Yeah, I got. I like woke up in the middle of the night. There was no one outside, and I, I heard this like deep, deep voice going like, "Do you know how long it's been since I smoked weed?'" And oh it kept being like. Mm. and like and she thought it was me but she was like way she was she told me it was way too deep to be my own voice that's so bizarre so we were like yo some like some dude was like yo he can't get no ghost weed hookups or something and he's pissed about it and we used to smoke lots of weed in that house a lot of bad weed a lot of (laughs) of delaware fire mids 
A lot of mids yeah. that joint. <laughs> and yeah, it was just so yeah, I, I was like totally free. And then I told her what I saw and stuff. And then yeah, like not too long after that, I uh, met Frank and told him that story. And then he ended up um, a few years ago telling the story as an intro to one of his songs, Yin Yang Feather, which had to do with um, a ghost sighting that he had. He's If you want to know good good ghost stories, I should put you in contact with Frank. Yeah, he has Frank ghost Kirk, stories yeah. for fucking days and days and days. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah a lot of his songs are good. That's what I'd like to know about. <laughs> we're looking for it all. We're, juice. Looking, we're looking for the ghosts, the goblins, the ghouls, anything. Uh, anything you got. He's the got gobble it all. <laughs> Yeah, let me tell you some some gabagool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he yeah he he's seen all kinds of shit. There was one he saw a Mennonite ghost in that song. That's what he was talking about. And yeah, we and our thing was like these were probably like Amish ghosts like walking around Newark or something. That was our theory about it, but with no so other bizarre. evidence. That's the main one that sticks out. There's always like for me, it's like I'll just get this like insane kind of like not um it's like the like kind of like when you're in a lucid dream but you're not aware of the dream yet and it just feels super real but then like yeah like crazy shit starts warping and you got this feeling in your stomach and and stuff like that that happens frequently um but i don't know about um i can't remember of anything specifically at the moment other than the that one that one story that also skid row is crazy because it had burned down so many times and been rebuilt like it would like half of it would burn down and they would just kind of rebuild that half and then the other half would burn down and they'd rebuild that half and yeah. it was and it's the oldest freestanding structure i think it's the reason why they haven't torn it down and like built like a like a fake mcdonald's style house on top of it yet was yeah. like a you know panera or something is because that it's the old, it's like a historic building it was like tenement yeah. housing for a mill that used to be there oh Oh, that that definitely yeah. I could definitely get some weird vibes there. Then, yeah, yeah, it's got all that sure. that current of of consciousness going through it. Mill workers, I'm surprised there's no flannel man. <laughs> I went when he said that his girlfriend woke up and saw something at the foot of the bed. I was like, flannel man. <laughs> there's this there's this podcast we listen to, Strange Familiars. It's pretty interesting. Basically, a, just a weird entity people see, but yeah, it's. Yeah, well, Strange Familiars, I think, definitely changed, turned us on to this sort of thing in the first place. I think mm-hmm. just the idea that, like, there's sort of these recurring strange stories for people that don't fit into the same mold, like, as a ghost story or a UFO story or whatever. There's a lot of these one-off stories that everybody has, and we kind of came to find that we have those stories, too. It's just, like... It's hard, unless you put a finger right on a memory, to remember a memory when you're trying to think of something later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, even though we wrote them down and recorded them all, if you were to ask me right now, do you have any spooky stories, I would probably remember, like, just one or two. Because yeah. your brain is so good at being like, this is not important. I'm just going <laughs> to... For whatever reason, it just doesn't store those things right. But, um... Yeah, and just, like, listening to, like, eyewitness reports and stuff, and being like... Oh, okay, well, obviously, like, reality is a little more, like, tenuous than, than like, it's made out to be, especially in the West, mm-hmm. and we kind of live in this era where there's no intersubjectivity. Um, right. 
And, like, I think that a lot of these stories and stuff kind of remind us of that intersubjectivity. And right there with it is is meditation and Buddhism as well. Like, I think these yeah. are both the, pro the, the practice of kind of understanding where, like, where the you dissolves into the not you, but also the links between the two. Mm -hmm. uh, right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride. We're going to do some more investigating, I think, just like investigations and stuff. But like, we've had a couple of interviews. Well, we've only had one interview. You're our second interview. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> but we just kind of want to like, uh, I don't know. We're, we're kind of taking like a, I, I think I'm speaking for everybody when I say that we're doing like a gonzo approach to the paranormal. Because I feel like it's such a complex hydra-headed beast that um, I think they go about it kind of so clean and like not not rooted in a practice yes. of Zen, you know. Like I think yeah. it's is it's not uh, inclusive. Yeah, you don't want to walk in Zach Bagan style looking for ghosts that you assume are going to be there right before any. Yeah, like we're going in without assumptions. Yeah, yeah, going in without assumption and. Just trying to absorb. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's not even that we're looking for ghosts, which is kind of like we've we've had this other phenomena find us first, <laughs> and, yeah, and beat us over the head with its undeniability that we we kind of like we haven't even had a chance to ghost hunt. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Does, have you told any of the stories? To yeah, I mean, ghosts? I haven't. I probably haven't related a whole lot of what's been going on with us, but um, a whole lot of like light phenomena. Like this, oh, well. like, like, yeah, like, like, yeah, weird lights on a at ground level right in front of your eyes that are uh, like, yeah, just Christmas lights and stuff darting around in the dark. And, and we were doing this in like December originally when there wouldn't have been any fireflies and there weren't firefly colored. And then we start talking about it. We start making this podcast. And then one comes out of my wall in my kitchen while we're recording the podcast. I swear to God. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just sort of like, well. <laughs> well, this cannot be denied there you at are. all anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hello. Just, yep. So, yep. There's something that I just remembered that has been happening recently, recently. since. Yeah, I knew we would shake one loose. Yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> should. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever spoken about it even at all. But, like, I used to um, – I still do. I love that there's been this bong. I was like, what are they going to do with this bong? Anyway, so, sorry. <laughs> that's a, that's a, <laughs> um, no, the, uh, the, um, so like our, like our headboard is right at a window and there's like, like our, it's kind of like a driveway and we live in a duplex. There's like a woman on one side and then there's another house on the other side. So our back driveway is kind of like a T-bone and like one house is here, one house is here. So our room is right there. And, um, I've always just been a paranoid person on, on, on like a subconscious level. Cause that's, that, that for me, that's where paranoia stems from. It's just purely subconscious fear. And, um, I would always, I always be like nervous about people like shining a light into my like window and like looking in. And there's been plenty of times where I'm like asleep and I feel like someone's shining a light on me and I'll like dart awake and be like, holy fuck, like someone's like spying on me or it's like that Tim and Eric joke where he's like, I'm just shining a light and teaching your kid about the universe and stuff or something <laughs> like that. That's, that's what I tell myself to calm down. But yeah, I'll wake up and there'll be no lights. There's no one there. And I'm like getting tired of like waking up and, 
and uh, being it, I, I definitely, you know, I, there's the phenomenon of seeing lights flashing when your eyes are closed because yeah. of that. But then I'm like, this is like, also, I, can't, I sleep with my eyes half open because I have astigmatism. So my eyes are weird shaped and they're like, they kind of bug out. And my if I'm laying back, oh. enough, they, they stay open. So I'm like, whenever like oh, light like that happens, yeah, and, I, and I'll kind of be like, holy shit. And then there'll be no light and stuff. And I have, it, I have it happen when I close eye meditate. If I, I started doing open eye med- meditation, which I never used to do. Yeah. But now when I close my eyes, it, it gets kind of like, it gets distracting how many lights are going off. But, but huh. yeah, through, through the window or through something, it'll be like someone's in the room shining a light on me and stuff. So I don't know. I, I guess that's worth mentioning. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's in the soup of parasomnia. Yeah, because I mean, like, so many of our stories are like either just directly about a dream, or involve being recently asleep, or involve like areas where people sleep. It's weird. It's definitely this sort of doorway, kind of between stages and consciousness is sleep. So to understand like reality and dream as you know, states of awareness, I, there's, like, always, sleep is, like, in between those. Like, um, like, we dream to kind of delineate ourself from the dream to kind of say, right. okay, well, this, that reality was the sleep, this reality is the awake. And, um, right. so I always find it interesting when these things, with, like, these beings or, like, these things that are not objectively provable uh kind of come through when when people are are sleeping or they're on the edge of sleep or some or they're trying to fall asleep you know mm-hmm. um so that's interesting to me uh for sure me me too Dr- dreaming has always been a huge obsession of mine and actually the the word plague comes from a dream that i had uh, when i was the, for, before i moved to baltimore I was like crashing on my the couch. It was, it was they called it the day bed, um, but I would like crash for like a few days and and play a show or something. My bandmate was going to Micah, and I like I had this dream when I was down there where I was like it was like super realistic and like very expansive, and I kept traveling, and like the bus to Baltimore, it was like this weird coach bus that I just had like this free pass to get on and stuff, and like it was like and like the city was totally crazy. And I lived in the, in this house. My mom had an apartment in the basement, and it was like pretty unnotable. Other than that, other than just like the imagery being like pretty extensive and the crazy architecture and shit. But the the on the bus there was a sign that said "Plake," and my understanding was that you can never really read in a dream. But yeah. I've, I've always been able to like not necessarily read, but like look at at a sign or something and just have the understanding of what it says. And the spelling oh. of it, and then and then I kind of give back my own like projection of what it what it actually spells out and stuff. And P L A K E. And I went, I did anagrams and I was like trying to figure out what the fuck. And it was just completely oh. random, like totally random. And um, yeah, I decided to like. I think initially I was like, uh, initially I was just releasing things as just Plake, and then I went to Plake sixty four in the hexagrams because of. Uh, I got really into the I Ching because of John Cage and um, didn't really use the I Ching to make music initially, but used would, would use like random s- sequences and stuff because it was so 
for me, like using random things was oh. closer to like the like dream logic, which isn't entirely random. It's, yeah. like, it's like half random and half like you know its own logic or something. And it's the fact that it's oh, this yeah. intermediate state between waking life and, and subconsciousness. And, and definitely, I've, I've and often definitely... thought about the language of, like, this, like the uh, semantics of dream mm-hmm. are so f- just vastly different. Like, you see a thing and you, and you do a thing because of the thing, but, like, it made sense at the time. And then you look back on it and it's all just archetypes, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, but no... Yeah. Let me let me let me think what I was trying to <laughs> what I was trying to oh, remember. But um go on. Um Oh. I mean it, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I remember. Sorry. <laughs> uh just like pulling information out of dreams is always so weird because it's like where did this come from? You know, did it like did it come from when you woke up? Did is that when you invented the word or like in the memory of that like because i've thought about it too because part of our stories i'm having these dreams and i'm trying to like pull these messages out of them and stuff because like i don't remember specific stuff from dreams usually so when you do remember something from a dream like specifically language it's so weird like like yeah that doesn't belong i'm not supposed to be able to leave with with messages i mean even spoken language i'll find difficult to recall what people said to me in dreams uh-huh. let alone it's like the text. wording is always going to be different no matter when you think about it yeah, yeah i think that's interesting and i don't th- yeah like reading words i don't know if i do that in dreams i don't think i've ever even attempted to acknowledge that there was a word in the room in, in a dream you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. no, I'll have dreams where I try to read things and then can't and get nope. frustrated. I've never had one where I've even tried to read. <laughs> I guess I just don't like reading. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, dream dream logic is is interesting to me um, because uh, there's also I don't remember uh, there's like this the sleep stage before REM. Um, it's basically just you kind of stewing on stuff that's in your brain, but you're not, like, using your language center or whatever to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of, like, this slow stew as you, like, physiologically become really, um, like, relaxed and slip into REM. Um, but, like, they say that that's a really formative and important part of sleep, and that, like, you know, if you interrupt people and it sleep stage it's like harmful over time or whatever because you're you're working out stuff using like this non-conscious logic yeah well yeah i mean i people have i feel like i've even like come to conclusions in dreams almost Hmm. you know what i mean like or had like realizations through dreams and i think Mm -hmm. that's interesting because that means your brain is not just displaying things it's still almost working in a sense you know yeah people will have things come to them in dreams and it's like it's your brain is still working even sometimes well i wonder then if it is true random which the assumption is it's pretty incredible when you do work something out through a dream because it's just complete happenstance that all those things would fire honestly honestly it kind of makes sense that like dreams could lead to you know realizations in a lot of ways just because 
out of sheer randomness if those thoughts those thoughts can be combined in ways you never had expected before you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. like you're using parts of your brain in tandem that you just wouldn't in a conscious way mm-hmm. there's a lot of great stories that that do that or like um i'm, I'm sure there's a sherlock holmes thing or, but there, there's like other stuff too where it's like yeah the, those conditions for the realization only occur when the subconscious is like fully I guess illuminated or something. And I think that was my initial interest in meditation. Cause I was like, maybe I can access this thing that's closer to the chaos of the universe through meditation. And initially was like, yeah, very like David Lynch style TM, like pulling, catching the big fish style. I think that was another part that sustained my interest in meditation was like, yeah. Oh, like it'll like, inc- it was like for the purpose of creating art, but then it, then it just became so much more than that and mm-hmm. yeah because i mean it's it's there it's brimming under the surface like the kind of the darkness uh that runs underneath everything you know uh, and like once you see it like and you bring that back you don't lose that you know um right. but yeah i think that like um this sort of like i mean that's that's very tibetan like to to get it on the head like tibetan buddhism is is very very intersubjective like um and i think that's one of the things i'm drawn to about it is there's there's not so much of the disciplinary dogma of it i mean there is there's definitely disciplinary structure in Tibetan Buddhism, but um, I don't know. I think that it's one of the few places where, um, you know, that the the lay are almost as much in and of the faith as anyone else in the entire country. Like, um, like it's very much a living dream, you know. Um, there was a big point in the dreaming universe about uh, Australian Aboriginal understanding uh, before, you know, colonization and, and persevering yeah. after it, but um, about, about dream and it, and it's uh, an inextricable relationship to like, we're all dreaming one dream together, uh, together. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's very much part of like when in Mahamudra, and Dzogchen, Dzogchen practice, or is there's like three main essences. There's action, or no, there's view, meditation, and action, and they're all kind of like they're not necessarily in a sequence. They all kind of simultaneously happen, and, and view has to do with like the understanding of emptiness that all phenomena appearing and arising is is empty, in the sense that the same way like a dream like they always like used the dream as an analogy and then that leads to um uh i'm not sure i'm connecting this perfectly but again I, i'm still it's always I hell i feel whenever i talk about this <laughs> don't have much understanding okay, it's like, but i'm not the one to tell a story but i'm telling a story <laughs> we're gonna do it yeah. this, is, this is what we got um but there you know there's definitely the um there's like dream yoga or the idea that um so like in in a lot of like ordained monastics for Tibetan Buddhism, they like they have a very like 
have a pretty strict like sleep schedule where they don't sleep much and some of them sleep sitting up they have like belts that keep their legs like tied and they just kind of like like slump and like part of when they do like mountain retreats or like isolation retreats and stuff for like months and months like that'll be like how they sleep so to speak but the the idea is like they include it as like the center of a practice or like you know there's like practices sometimes will like be like three stages um like preparatory then the actual practice and then like conclusion and dedication and like the 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 actual practice will be like go to sleep and then in in their sleep a lot of them will have like meditative realizations and stuff like that and that was like their um something garchen rinpoche definitely has talked a lot about especially recently um and then like I've, <laughs> there was like national sleep day which is the funniest like there's like or maybe it was month it's like this month the sleep month <laughs> i thought it was funny and then like the, the dalai lama was like sleep is the best meditation and i, I just thought that was that's actually been a relief for me because sometimes I'll, I'll get up and be like all right i'm not a monk i'm not ordained but i am like tired of shit and i <laughs> the only thing waking me up in the morning is the alarm to have to go to work and yeah, it's been it's been tough to try to keep with a, a strict practice because of, you know, having to go to work and stuff. And I'm and yeah, I've also tried to separate. Like, I don't want to meditate to specifically become a better worker. I want to meditate yeah. to like help people, and that's something that has to kind of transcend like the 15 minutes or so that I sit, I spend each morning sitting on a cushion or not. And then, but I'm getting a little off topic here. But yeah, the the yeah dreaming in a Tibetan. Um, Buddhist uh, perspective is incredibly important for the what they teach as the uh, ultimate view or you know the view of ultimate reality, which is necessary to have any sort of realization in their in their practice. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, are, what are the demons called? The like sensory demons? Um, um clashes? There's clashes or clashes or something, and then Mara. Mara's, I think it's Mara. I'm thinking of. Yeah, Mara. You know, there's like in like the life story of Gautama Buddha, there's there's a uh, just Mara, but Mara in general, I think, is just considered a demon. So um, they arise from afflicted afflictions. Yes, and I I think that that in a in and of itself, and the way that our current society is so structured away from these sort of decentered from these this sort of inner subjective thought. I almost think that these sort of uh, ob extra objective uh, events with these monsters and these UFOs and these strange people and stuff that come out in these weird situations, we all have these stories. I almost think that it's kind of sim symptomatic of this sort of disconnection from, from an intersubjective world and that something has to kind of pierce that tension um, and like in these weird yeah, landslide with, with events. Like, of... Yeah, and, and the whole analogy of Mara's being like these these sort of sensory afflictions, I think, kind of comes at, if you don't pay attention to it long enough, it's going to come out as a fiery red demon, maybe, you know? Right. And or kind exactly. of wake you up to it. Um, because, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of these people talk about, and with their own experiences, it's like these things are very fundamental to our understanding of Reality, and they definitely shift everything about the whole world once they occur to these people. You know, like the average truck driver from Ohio 
who sees uh, a Bigfoot across the road and then, has with, his whole world yeah, view a shook. Bigfoot that's jet black and eating the light around it across the road yeah, with deep or, red or, eyes and his brain shatters. Yeah, or, like, you know, yeah. I don't know like or, the one about the farmer from Idaho or whatever who there were two... Two ETs and this UFO, and they offered him pancakes. pancakes. That is my favorite UFO story. <laughs> it's absolute. I honestly want to. It's, it's, it's not long. I just want to retell. It's. He literally he was walking up to his well to get water, and he said he saw a UFO there, and the the ramp comes down, and just this little green man, you know, this little gray alien who's real short, you maybe like this tall, you know, like a couple feet tall, walks out, and he's like, "Hey, can I have some water?" And he's just like, "Uh." Yeah, so he says he got him some water, and the guy, the alien got the water, and he was like, awesome, thank you very much, one second, and like went inside the ship, put down the water, and was like, came back out with pancakes, and the other one was just inside cooking pancakes, and he was like, you want some pancakes? And the dude took them, and the best part about this is, it was investigated by the Air Force. <laughs> this, the thing that I love about this story. Yeah, it's a Project Blue Book. This uh, normal farmer. Story. Called the police, called the Air Force. He was like, uh, like, why would you ever do that? Like, that is not a prank you do if you're a normal farmer in the middle of nowhere. Like, that and is then, something you do if you want to be ridiculed for the rest of your and life. And then to say why, that the pancakes tasted like shit. And that there's literally a government analysis of these pancakes. It exists. There's no salt in them, interestingly enough, but they're yeah. just super crap buckwheat pancakes really that taste like gets crap. to me yeah the salt thing just because you know association of salt with spirits this, and other this things. kind of feels like a zen cohen like just the whole yeah. telling of that story and like the fact that like this government like the government like is like even like funnier yeah they're just testing the pancakes <laughs> yes <laughs> like somewhere in a laboratory like some fbi guy who can't breathe this to anybody because it's top secret, secret. he's <laughs> just testing these alien pancakes <laughs> Yeah. There's something I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's too. It's, they should have got coop on the case. Right? Oh yeah. It's, oh yeah. It's too weird to, to to. It's too weird to be fake, in my opinion. Like. Well, yeah, and and I think that the the existence of these stories, kind of just being unanimous across like the country and the world, and like yeah. just like listening to these eyewitness shows and getting all these people to call in all the time. It's like, well, obviously, you know. The world isn't so cut and dry, is it? Well, yeah, and okay, and the thing is, don't get me wrong. I want to be, I want to be clear about this to just listeners as well. It's like it's not. I'm not saying that it's real in that aliens from outer space gave this man pancakes, but something presented itself to this man and gave him pancakes, and it happened. You know what I mean? Like, exchange for. Water. I'm not necessarily yeah. saying it's men from outer space, but it's something. Yeah, well, that's and the it's, thing. It's like. Do you believe when they tell you that they're from the planet Lanulos that they actually came from the planet Lanulos? <laughs> or maybe that thing is just existing in our world every second maybe. you look at it and then it's gone when you're not. But yeah. what would be the difference? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's what I love like, about it. thinking about starting his own like pancake business and he was embarrassed. He like made some bad pancakes. He's like, I gotta cover this up. <laughs> yeah, this is this. It's like this is just like the combination of conscious so thought over so much time that this thing just manifested, and he was like, yeah, I'm yeah, gonna make pancake. a pancake business. <laughs> this alien. My wife says my pancakes taste like shit, but, it, but I'm gonna keep trying. And then he's yeah, like, fuck you, Air Force. <laughs> yeah. It, it's 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 just amazing. That's I just love it because well like, yeah I mean there's just too many too many stories like that to shake a, a stick at, and like the fact that we're like kind of into this sort of stuff 
and it, we were like, hey, let's go down to Crybaby Bridge in Millington and look around uh, at night. Maybe was, we'll see yeah. something spooky. Just for a laugh. It and was it was in, what, 10, 15 minutes before we started seeing little zipping uh, will-o'-wisp lights all through the woods. I remember and you and you and Carly saw the same two lights appear at the yeah, same time in the trees. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. like blip blip, and you guys were both like, "What was that?" And we immediately confirmed it to each other, and yeah. we were both just like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like we didn't even go to the haunted house at yeah. that point. Like, yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, but to be honest, I think there's something to that. Whereas people who are looking for ghosts are going to have a ghostly experience. We weren't necessarily looking for anything at all. But, like... We were just looking. We were just looking, and I feel like the amount of paranormal stuff we were interested in... Mystery lights in the woods was, like, the thing to see. But the reality of it is they're there. I mean, we... we you can... It, it'll be in our... Probably our first episode, but, uh... We yeah, brought, that's, like, like, the pilot episode. We, like, told my brother and his girlfriend about it, and some of our friends, and, uh... They were real skeptical, but we were there for maybe... We were there for maybe... Yeah, I mean, it's recording or whatever. Yeah, three yeah. minutes. Three minutes. And yeah, we like, hadn't even, hadn't even started recording. She was like, is like that in the woods? And we were like, oh yeah, that light just moving around behind the trees out in the woods. Yeah, that's... And it's just, yeah, it was like... I don't know. So bizarre. And once you see it, it's like... Or, you know, a light coming out of your, your wall in your yeah, house. Yeah, as we're sitting there recording the podcast. It's like... It was just dumb. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things, just dumb. <laughs> well, because I was like... Yes, exactly. And I think we were all like that. We were like, ah, like especially because I was talking about this dream that happened. Oh God! The timing was uncanny, and we didn't realize till listening back that the timing of this appearance of this light was like super intentional, almost. And we were like, oh, oh oh my God! Yeah, it's just. uh, It's been weird. It's been a weird ride. Yeah, and it's only just begun. But yeah. I mean, so yeah, I just feel like this whole thing, this interview was just us reaching out between the uh, the the Gonzo Noise Freak um, podcasters out there, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we could share a conversation about, about Buddhism and uh, well, yeah, whatever else we talked about. <laughs> yeah, well, well, ad- advertisement coins and yeah, Buddha, ghosts and all that. Co- co- advertisement, co- advertising. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hell yeah. Well, yeah. Um, definitely, our our listeners, if we have any by this point, um, should check out Plake Ruby. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Plake sixty four and the hexagrams <laughs> on Bandcamp. Um, and they should check out Delaware Dan on YouTube, the Delaware Dan po- podcast. Um, I finally got it on actual podcast channels. Very oh, nice. cool, cool. Very finally nice. check it out. Yeah, DM oh, me about weird. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will. That's yeah, easy shit. Okay. Let me tell you, Delaware Dan's got all the secrets. You need a podcast right there? Are you or your family starting a podcast? <laughs> are you witnessing the uh, inextricable phenomenological link between objective and subjective reality? Then no problem. Call Delaware Dan at 302-69. The other thing is, like, the joke is always just supposed to be, like, saying, like, the ends of screen names from the early 2000s. So it's like four twenty sixty nine six six six. You know, it's, just, it's, so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really a ten out of ten though, and just I want to applaud you on your accent because oh, it's thank, really good. Thank, <laughs> thank, it's, good. it's a little more Baltimore now. 
Um, and I'm sure you I heard. I feel like the line between those acts. Like, there's there's line between really Philly they're the same acts. They are the, like, basically the same acts, and there's like slightly different. But I'm sure you've heard yeah. Bayview Bunky at this point. He's been instrumental for, for getting. <laughs> Bayview Bunky. Dude, Bayview Bunky is the shit. <laughs> I have to conceal well, his yeah, idea. Yeah, but no, I really didn't understand what a Baltimore accent was until I moved to the Eastern Shore. Because living up here, it was too much of a blurred line. I'm like, I'm getting Delaware accents, I'm getting Philly accents, I'm getting Baltimore accents. But moving to the Eastern Shore, just like, I can't, I can't even imitate it. But being like, oh, that's like the joke everybody makes about Baltimore. Yeah. Because like, everybody there living there has family in Baltimore, I'm sure. Because like, we're so close to the Bay Bridge. But like... These guys always make fun of me for saying Baltimore. Like, I mean, we're both... She's from Maryland. I moved here when I was super young. I lived here my whole life. But I say Baltimore. But, like, you you, and... I believe you, you just... Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I force it a little more sometimes. Just to, Especially here in Florida. Just to prove that... And it's funny because, like, everyone in Florida is from Delmarva. Everyone in Florida is from, from there. So it's, yeah. it's not yeah. too yeah. far off. Or they're from New York or... And, like, everyone that's on vacation is from goddamn Ohio. <laughs> no disrespect to Ohio. Kind of. No, I'm <laughs> I was supposed to be compassionate and all this shit, but, you know. So, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, seriously. Uh, it is it is, uh, it is awesome. Thank you guys for interviewing me. That's awesome oh, yeah. to be on your we, show. We miss anything in the plug? <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Oh, uh, I have a website where I mean, you can find... I mean, you've got, like, a tape label, right? I have a tape label. got a couple... <laughs> more, than, more than one, unfortunately. But the main one right <laughs> now is Apartment 421 Tapes. That's been going for almost a decade. I mean, with a huge gap in between. But I have I have everything. You can find it at alexanderhoman.com. It's all on okay. one compendium. Excellent. And uh, there's even just kind I of like... I will link to that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have links to everything in the show notes. Cool, yeah, it's a H-O-M-A-N. Home Man, home. I want to say that forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, man, well, uh... Yeah, it's been great talking yeah, with you. Yeah, it's great talk. Cool, oh, Keep yeah. Keep walking away. Likewise, likewise. I'm excited to check out the uh, the Paranormal Podcast, too. Yeah. Uh, send that my way we'll as soon that. as it's done. We'll have that eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I want the files on my desk ASAP. I'm just kidding. Okay, guys, open up, boys. <laughs> Get oh, those yeah. pictures of fun to you. <laughs> well, y'all take, right, take, take take care. Take very much care. love. Much love. I'll visit. I'll I'll be up there. So I'm all vaxxed up. So I'll be, you know, Delaware Dance returning oh, to the homeland pretty whoa. soon. So check. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you uh, posted. Prodigal of Dan. Hell <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Prodigal Dan returns. Oh. All right. All right, all right. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Later. Much love, everybody. <laughs> All right, and thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a pretty good outro. Yeah. And... For episodes and show notes, visit heavysite.com or look for us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what we do and you want to support the show, consider becoming a patron at Patreon. We have extra content, longer versions of the main episodes, and other conversations and ramblings. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription and would like to make a one-time donation, look for the paypal.me link under the donate tab at heavysite.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.